For our time here together this morning, we're going to continue our systematic study through God's Word. Last week we covered, uh, well, we opened up our study of chapter 25 of the book of Matthew, and today we will continue uh, with that study. And so if you have your Bibles with you, you can start making your way to Matthew chapter 25. You know, I, I, I always wonder what everybody else thinks a little bit sometimes. I, I love just going through the Word of God systematically. We pick up where we last left off. We just keep on marching through. Like, it relieves me of any pressure of trying to come up with something really good. It's just, this is what the Word of the Lord is. And I hope you guys aren't bored uh, through our time in Matthew. I've really enjoyed it and uh, looking forward to just continuing in it. Last week, you may recall that we looked at the parable of the ten virgins. And we noted how its main point was our preparation and readiness for the return of Jesus Christ. Today we will look at yet another parable, uh, the parable of the talents. And I pray that the Lord speaks to each of us as we get into His Word. Uh, Let's go ahead and read this morning's portion, and then we'll pray and we'll ask for His leading and His blessing through His Word. Will you please stand as we read Matthew chapter 25. We're going to cover verses 14 all the way through verse 30. And so uh, I'm reading from the New King James Version. You can follow along uh, if you um, have that same. If not, do your best just to follow along as we go. Verses 14 through 30, Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to his disciples. He continues his conversation with them, and he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Verse 20. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to them, him, excuse me, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Verse 24, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, Even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A sobering word for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would be with us as we go through your word this morning. Lord, that you would open our hearts and our ears and and our minds to receive all that you would have for us. Lord, I I do believe and come each week with the expectation that you're going to speak to us. And so this morning is no different. We come with an expectation that you're going to speak through your word to us. Lord, we pray that we would be ready to receive what you have for us this morning. Lead and guide our time and bless your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. As I mentioned last week, we looked at the first 13 verses of chapter 25, and we noted how Jesus used the parable of the ten virgins to exhort us to be prepared 
to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus is continuing his words with his disciples regarding the signs of his coming and the end of the age that began back in chapter 24 of the book of Matthew. And the parable we'll cover this morning, it also points to a future time, a time that could come within uh, our life uh, time, a time we, in, we should all be prepared for and a time that we should all be aware of. Where the parable of the ten virgins exhorts us to be ready, okay? the parable of the talents, as we'll see, helps to describe what ready looks like okay? in the life of the believer. Okay? And so we're going to jump in and make some observations of our text. Verses 14 and 15 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Hey, remember this is a parable. Okay? And a parable is always a, an earthly story that was very common uh, that proclaims or, or teaches us a heavenly truth. Okay, and so this would be a very common thing. If a master was going to be uh, t- spending some time away traveling, he would take some of his resources and he would entrust them to his servants that they would do business, that they would occupy until he comes back. Uh, and, and when he would return, he would expect an accounting of those goods. And so that's what we see here, a very common thing, a common practice, uh, something that we maybe... We kind of do a little bit of that. Maybe we go away for a long time. We have someone kind of t- house watch or take care of the pets or do that kind of thing. Uh, but on a much larger scale, okay, it's not like they're traveling uh, you know, uh, by plane. So they're traveling at great distances, would be gone for sometimes for lengths of a time. Uh, and so they, but the principle is still the same. They're going to be good stewards of what's been entrusted to them. Okay? The first thing that I want to point out here is that we know that this parable is connected to the previous one based upon the wording in the actual original uh, language in the original manuscripts that, we, uh, that uh, our text comes from. In the New King James Version, in the King James Version, if you're reading from those texts, it reads, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man, and it keeps on going. And at first glance, we may think that Jesus is perhaps moving on to a new subject or a new topic uh, as he opened up the previous parable with a, a similar thing, the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. And so then he says, the kingdom of heaven uh, will be likened. So maybe it's a different analogy, but we know that's not true. Okay? In other translations, like the ESV or the NIV, if you're reading from those, or maybe even, I believe it's the NASB, uh, some of those translations, uh, verse 14 simply reads, for it will be like a man, or again, it will be like a man. Okay? And it's plain to see that this parable is a continuation of thought from the previous parable. Okay? If you uh, look in those King James, New King James, it's actually those words for the kingdom of heaven is they're italicized. Okay? And this is just for your own knowledge. Okay? Often, if you come into a portion of scripture in your Bible that's italicized, it usually means that phrase was not in the original manuscripts. But they added it just to try and make clarity uh, for you. And so as you're reading and you see something in the English that's italicized, it, it's something that's been inserted to help you know, uh, clarify, uh, but not found in the original manuscripts. And so we see that this is a continuation from verses 1 through 13. And so we need to recall that back in the parable of the ten virgins, okay, all ten maidens, if you remember, they all look the same on the outside. Okay? The difference was what they had in their vessels. Namely, it was oil. And as we looked at that last week, we pointed out that the oil uh, represented the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And it wasn't until the announcement of the bridegroom's coming that we saw the difference between the five wise uh, virgins and the five foolish virgins. Okay? So I believe the parable before us this morning is meant to help understand what it looks like to be ready. Verses 1 through 13 says you need to be ready. Okay? Five of them were ready. Five of them were not ready. The verses that we're going to cover this morning, they're going to tell us, what does it look like to be ready? Okay? It's a continuation. Okay? What will the person who is ready for the bridegroom to come look like? What will they be doing? What will their life look like? Okay? And so that's the idea here. Let's see how it describes these uh, individuals. It says the parable begins, uh, well, the parable begins with identifying four individual, 
Four individuals, excuse me. A, a man that was traveling to a far country and three of his own servants. The man traveling is easily identified as Jesus Christ. When we want to look at the parables, we want to say, okay, what represents what? We look at the man traveling to a far-off country, and we can say, absolutely, that is a picture of Jesus Christ. After Jesus rose from the grave, and, and he spent 40 days being seen by his disciples and hundreds of others, he then ascended into heaven. And when he ascended, angels appeared before the disciples and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him to as you saw him go into heaven. So we know Jesus is coming back. Jesus has gone to heaven. He is preparing a place for us, but we know he will one day come back. The servants, they are a picture of us. The servants are a picture of those in the church. Here we see first and foremost what is expected of those that are Christ? Okay? Those that will be ready for His coming. What will they be? Well, namely, we will be seen as servants. Okay? The parable describes us as servants. Mark 10, verse 43 through 45 says, Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so right off the bat, what does it look like to be ready? Well, it means that you're a servant. Okay? We're called to be servants. To look out for the best interests of those around us. To give ourselves freely to bless others. Okay? A Christian should follow the example left in Christ. Christ came to serve. And that expectation, excuse me, the expectation is that we would do the same. The man that was traveling, he called his servants together and he delivered his goods to them. Note with me whose goods they were. Okay? They were the man's goods. Okay? And he delivered them to his servants. Okay, that word delivered, uh, if you do a study on it, it doesn't mean that he just simply gave his goods to them and said, oh, here's a bonus and just do whatever you want with this money. Okay, uh, that's not the idea of this money. Okay? It means that these goods were given to the servant's charge or to their care. Okay? They were entrusted with the proper care of these goods with the expectation that when the owner returns, there will be an accounting required of the goods and how they were used. Okay? That's what that word delivered means. Okay? Here we see, I, I believe, a second expectation for those that would be ready for the return of Christ. Okay? If you are ready, what is it going to look like? Well, not only are you going to be a servant, but you're also going to be a good steward. Okay? We are called to be good stewards. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Okay? God is looking for faithful stewards okay? that will take that which has been entrusted to them and use it for His kingdom. Those that will be ready when the Lord returns will be those that are being good stewards of what God has entrusted to them. Interestingly, the master of the servants, he gave a different amount to each servant according to their own ability. Okay? To one he gave five, five talents, to another he gave two talents, and to another, uh, the last, he gave one talent. And before we get into the why of the distinction, let's make sure we understand the what. Okay? What was entrusted to these servants? We're told that we're, they were given talents. Okay? Now, now, talents, when we think of it in our English language, uh, uh, we think of natural ability. You know, uh, uh, we describe someone as talented uh, when they have an increased ability to perform a certain action. You might say, well, that person's really talented uh, musician. You know, they, they play the, uh, the guitar very well. Or they're, they're a very talented orator. You wouldn't say that to me. But others, you may say that. You know, uh, we're speaking of natural abilities. Okay? That's not what's meant here. 
okay, when the word talent's used. A talent was a unit of measurement. Okay? Uh, a talent was used to measure currency, and in particular, precious metals, like uh, copper, and silver, uh, gold. They would have uh, a talent would be a specific weight. Uh, and so uh, a talent of silver in Israel weighed about 100 pounds. Uh, a talent of gold actually weighed about 200 pounds. And, and because we're not told uh, which metal is being used, it's impossible to estimate the true value of the money that was left to these servants. Okay? One thing that we can be sure of, though, is that a talent in the New Testament always represented a very large sum of money. Okay? Uh, just imagine 200, you know, it, they, some that say if it was gold that he was measuring out, it could have been one talent, could have been up to 16, maybe even 20 years uh, worth of a, a salary. Okay? Uh, and so uh, even if, uh, silver, they said it would be a, a few years worth salary, just one talent. And so uh, even the servant that was only given, we might say, oh, he was only given one talent. Okay? He was still given something of, of very considerable worth. Okay? One talent was a lot. Another thing that we can note here is that the man traveling to a far country should be seen as an extremely wealthy man. Okay? The fact that he was able to distribute so much to his servants shows that the master's resources, well, they were seemingly endless. If he had you know, eight talents of, of precious metals, you know, a great amount, uh, and he was able to just distribute them to his servants while he went away on a trip, that indicates he has a lot. Okay? Um, now that we understand, okay, so the talent, it's a measure of goods. We don't know exactly how much, but we know it's a lot. It's something very uh, considerable, something of very considerable worth, okay? Let's look at why the master gave different amounts to each servant, okay? The scripture says that he gave the amounts based upon the servant's own ability, okay? Here's the thing that we want to point out. The master knew his servants well, Okay? He knew which ones had the ability to rightly handle and manage five talents. Okay? And he knew which ones would have their hands full with just one talent. Okay? Some may look at this and, and they might think or, or cry, unfair. He, he should have distributed evenly between the three servants. And they all should have got the same amount, 2.3333 uh, talents. You know, and, and that would have been the fair and just thing to do. You know, such thinking, it's really absurd okay, to, to think that, that's, that he should have done that. Okay? First of all, guess what? Whose goods were they? They were the master's. Okay? They are, it's the master's money, and he can do with it whatever he pleases. And he can give it to whomever he wants. And he can give a certain amount to one and, and to another a lesser amount, and to another even a greater amount. It's his goods. It's his resources. He can do with it as he pleases. Okay? Second, it would be irresponsible of the master to give a servant more than he knew he was able to keep. Okay? And to be faithful with. And it would be irresponsible of him to give someone who would excel something minor. It would just be irresponsible. Okay? And so the, the master even has a sense of, of good stewardship. Okay. How, do this, how does this apply to us? Okay. If the master of the servants pictures for us Jesus Christ, and, and the servants, they, they picture us, what do the talents represent? Okay. The exact meaning of the talent is debatable amongst many Bible scholars. I read a number of different commentators, and, and each one kind of was in a little bit of different areas. Okay. Some look at the talent uh, strictly under the umbrella of finances. And they would suggest that God has given to some more finances than others and that God will hold people accountable to the way they spend their finances. Okay? Uh, some look at this and suggest that it is connected to people's talents as we would describe them today. They're, that God has given certain people certain abilities and He expects them to use those talents or to use those abilities for God's kingdom. Others, they look at this and suggest that it speaks generally of opportunities uh, God gives to us to be used by Him. 
At certain times, God may prompt us to say something to someone or to do something for someone in His name. And, and they would say, that's, that's what's being described here. Okay? You know, and I don't think that any of these interpretations are necessarily wrong. I think as we look at each of them, we can understand that. Uh, there's truth in them. I do believe God will hold people accountable for how they spend the finances that God's given to them. Likewise, I believe God uh, wants us to use our God-given abilities uh, for uh, His honor and for His glory. And I do think that He wants us to seize the opportunities that He gives us to be bold for Him. Okay? But, but is that what's meant here in this parable? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, to be honest with you. Based upon the context, I'm under the persuasion that there is a connection here to the Spirit of God as well. Okay? In the previous parable, those that were the five wise virgins were those that had oil with them. If you guys remember, if you were with us last week. If you weren't with us last week, we do have our messages online. You can go and, and listen to them, download them if you'd like. Uh, but last week we looked at that. Oil, as we mentioned, uh, was a picture of the presence of the Spirit of God. Those that were ready had the Spirit of God within them. And, and when we consider then what ready looks like, if ready meant you have the Spirit of God, what does ready look like? I can't help but think that there's a connection to not just having the Spirit of God, but engaging and living under the influence of the Spirit of God. Perhaps the talent represents the different gifts of the Spirit that are given to each of us. Okay? We're not all given the same gifts. Okay? But we are all given at least one gift. Uh, and God does expect us to operate within the spiritual gifts that He's given to us. Okay? And if it is, uh, if it, excuse me, and if it's the Spirit of God is inside us that's working when, excuse me, it is the Spirit of God that is inside us that's working when prompted, when we feel that prompting, like I should go say something to this person, when that opportunity, that's the Spirit of God working inside of you, saying, hey, go, go talk to that person. Go share a, a scripture with that person. Go, go give that person a hug. Go listen to that person. They needed someone to, to listen to them. That's the Spirit of God working inside of you. And so I can't help but believe that there's a connection here to the Spirit of God as well. Being ready, what it looks like, being led by the Spirit of God. What exactly is meant by the talents, we can't say for certain. Maybe it's a combination of all of those working together. I'm not sure. But one thing we do know, is that these talents, whatever they may be, God has entrusted them to us, and He expects us to be faithful with them. Okay? Another thing that we can glean here is that God gives us these talents based upon our own abilities because He knows us so well. Okay? We can be confident that whatever God has entrusted to us, it was given to us for a reason. Okay? Whether that be a, a, a little He's given to us or much that He's given to us. Sometimes I think we can often get our eyes upon what God has given to others. And, and we can wonder why God didn't give it to us. Those that feel that they don't have much can often look at others that seem uh, to have much and we wonder why God gave them so much. And why didn't He give me that talent? Or why didn't He give me that opportunity to do that? Man, I could have done that. you know. Or maybe it's the other way around. I don't know. Okay? Those that, uh, that have much, they look around at those that have little and wonder, why, why, were they just, why were they given so little? Why aren't they doing more? Okay? We need to learn something very important. We need to keep our eyes off of what God has given to others and we need to simply focus upon what God has given to us. You see, when it's all said and done, we're not going to give an account for how someone else used their gifts or talents or opportunities or abilities. We're going to give an account for how we used what God gave us. Whether that be much, whether that be little, we're going to be held accountable individually. And so we get our eyes off of what other people have okay, and focus upon what God has given to us. And as we do that, we can be confident 
Okay? We can be confident that what he has given us was perfectly suited to us based upon his knowledge of us. God does not make mistakes. He didn't accidentally give us too much or too little. Okay? We can be confident that whatever God has given us was purposeful so that we, he knew that we could handle it and that we couldn't handle any more and, and he knew that we would be lacking if we had any less. And so we have a confidence that whatever God has given to us, it's tailor-made for us. And to me, I believe there's a peace in coming to this understanding that's very comforting. You know, at, at times, I've struggled with this. Okay? There's been times in my life that I've often desired the gifts that others have. You know, I, like, since Nick's not here, we can, I can talk about Nick, right? That kid is extremely talented. And, he, and I'm like, I'm a little jealous sometimes. You know, I've been trying to learn the guitar, and I'm like, dude... And I, I, I talked to him once, and I told him, I said, oh, I, you know, how do you do it? And he's like, oh, you just got to feel it, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> you make me sick, dude, the whole feel it thing. No, it doesn't work that way. You know, put my fingers, you know, you just got to feel it and go, no. You know, and there's been times where I've done that. I've, I've looked at people that, you know, can just, man, they're great Bible teachers. They're great orators. Man, they just can bring forth God's message with such clarity, understanding. And I... I look at that, man, I want to be like that. But you know what? I've come to realize, and I'm coming to realize, it's a work in progress, you know, that I've got my hands full with what God has given me today. And, and I need to just focus on being faithful with what He's given to me. Okay? I need to trust that He will see me through, that He's given to me exactly what is needed for this day. And if He wants to give me something later on, as I prove faithful with something, then maybe He'll do that. You know, I don't want to put myself on the shelf. Maybe one day it'll, I'll feel it too. Uh, but I'm going to be focused on what God's given to me today. We need to do the same. All right. We spent a lot of time in verses 14 and 15. We laid a foundation, understanding of some of the key elements in this parable. Let's move on, verses 16 through 18. It says, Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. The two servants that were given five and two talents, they went and traded the talents. They were given, uh, and and they actually doubled their master's money. Something uh, that is interesting to note here, just not an application point, but just something to note, is the difference between some of the different Bible translations uh, and the placement of the Greek word euthanos. Uh, The Greek word euthanos uh, is the word that's translated immediately if you're reading from the New King James Version or the King James. Uh, In the original manuscripts used for this translation, it's the last word of verse 15, euthanos. Uh, And it's connected to the master's actions of leaving the servants immediately. However, in other Bible translations, it's used as the first word of verse 16. And it's connected to the servants going out at once to invest the talent that was given to them by their master. This word euthanos, where does it go? Is it the last word of 15 or the first word of 16? We have to remember that the chapter and verse numbers, they were not added to the Bible until around the middle of the second millennium, around the 1500s, where where the verses numbers were put in there. And so uh, the original manuscripts don't have that. I'm sure most of you knew that. But uh, some of your Bibles read that the master went immediately, while others read that the servants immediately went to work trading. I think that it seems to make more sense being connected to the actions of the servants. Okay? Saying that the master left immediately or just saying that he left really doesn't change the fact that he just left. You know, he gave to him and then he left. If he left immediately, it really doesn't change much. You know, why add that he left immediately? But if we were to connect the immediacy to the servant's action, it does imply good stewardship, which is really the heart of this parable good stewardship. And so I believe uh, that it's connected to this idea that the stewards, man, the, the Lord, their Lord left and immediately they went to work investing, trading, working, laboring with their master's talent. Okay? We're not told exactly how they traded. 
the word traded, it carries with it the idea that they labored with the talents. Uh, what they, you know, maybe they invested it, maybe they bought things and then resold them, or maybe they bought land and what we don't know. Okay, that they had money, they they traded with it, they worked with it, they did something with it. Okay, we're not told exactly what, but they were able to um, bring a, a, a profit, uh, an increase to their master's talent. Okay. Uh, the servant that was given one talent, okay, we're told that he went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Okay? This servant did nothing with his Lord's money. He did not take it to himself. He did not spend it. He did not invest it. He did not work with it. He did nothing with it at all. He just dug a hole in the ground and he buried it. Okay? What's the spiritual lesson? that God is displaying for us here. Well, I think it's pretty easy to see, okay? That that there are those of us who have taken the gifts, taken the opportunities that the Lord has given to us, and we've been faithful to invest them in God's kingdom and to be fruitful. Okay? Some more fruitful than others, but fruitful nonetheless, okay? Others, however, have not done anything with what God has given to them. They are like the unprofitable servant that simply buried his Lord's money. And it's interesting to me that the, the servant with one talent okay, is the one that gets singled out as the one that went and buried it. Okay? Uh, no doubt there are people with five talents that are burying it. I'll, I'll tell you that okay? much now. Okay? But here we see it was the one who went and buried it. Uh, John Corson, a, a, a pastor... Uh, at, uh, in Oregon at Applegate Christian Fellowship, a great Bible expositor. and his commentary, uh, he too was intrigued and, and suggested the following reasoning behind it. He said, It's inter- interesting to me that the fellow who didn't show responsibility was the one with only one talent. That's often where the danger lies with us as well. The person who realizes that he has a great musical gift will more often than not develop his gift and seek to use it. But the person who says, I can't sing, and I can't preach, and I can't do miracles, they are the ones that often bury their one talent, whatever it might be. You know, I, I've often spoken to, to, to people, many people in fact, uh, before that, that don't think that they have anything to offer the Lord in His service. And, and really that is simply a lie. It is a lie straight from the devil himself, Okay. Everyone has something to offer. That is a, a scriptural truth that we have uh, within the, our Bibles. Okay? Everyone who is the Lord's is given at least one spiritual gift. Okay? Everyone. Okay? Uh, we're all given faith. Okay? That's a spiritual gift. You know that faith is a spiritual gift. It's one of the spiritual gifts that's listed within Scripture. But there are other spiritual gifts, depending on how you count them, some uh, you know, up towards to over 25 different spiritual gifts that uh, we can look to and point to within the Scriptures. Okay? And we all have talents that can be used to invest in God's kingdom. Let me ask you this. Can you smile... And, and, and greet someone when they walk in a room and, and hand them a bulletin and making them feel welcome? We'd love to have you serve in our ushers ministry if so. Can you change a diaper and, and love on some little ones so that mom can, can come and get some time just to be filled and encouraged in our walk with the Lord? We could use your help in the nursery. Has the Lord given you the ability to play a musical instrument or, or to sing? We're looking for help on the worship team. You know, praise the Lord that He provided Tamiko for the short season that we have with us. Okay, that we have her with us. Uh, we would have been doing probably CD-led worship this morning or uh, acapella, uh, if not for her. Okay, Nick. Uh, Nick's been doing a great job leading us in worship, but he's the only guy that we really have that that leads, that can play, that's or at least willing to come up and say. I'll play. You know? And, and the, the scary thing to me is that Nick's already informed me that he's going to be gone in, in late December. And guess what? Tommy Cole's not going to be here in late December. And so I'm like, okay, Lord. 
God, the time, time, the clock is ticking. You're going to provide someone, or we're going to do something. Maybe it'll be a cappella. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do, but I do trust God has a plan, and I wonder if that plan may include some of you. Don't bury your gifts and talents. Use them for the Lord. Develop them. Labor in them. There's this idea that wasn't an immediate. Sometimes we think, oh, if it, if it doesn't come easy, I really don't want to do it. These guys labored in their, with the finances. They did work. Okay? They developed it. And they were able to make uh, those talents useful for the kingdom. And, I, and the same applies to us. We're going to exercise those gifts. Step out in faith. Use them for the Lord. Okay? Verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. It was a long time before the Lord of the servants came back, but sure enough, he came back. Okay? And now it was time to settle accounts. And let me tell you, it's been a long time since the Lord first ascended into heaven and went to prepare, prepare a place for us. Okay? And, and his return is soon. He will come back and He will hold us accountable okay, to the gifts and the opportunities, those talents that He gave to us. Verse 20 through 23, it says, So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, he says the same exact thing, right? Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Well, instead of five. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him the same exact thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The servants that were given five and two talents, they seemed very eager to come and report what they had done with what was entrusted to them. Okay? Each came forth and declared to their Lord what they were given and what they were able to do with it. And I like that. I like that for a couple different reasons. But I like that because when brought before their master, they were able to clearly identify what was given to them and to give an account of it. Do you know what God has given you? What has God entrusted to you? When you stand before Him, will you be able to identify what God gave you and what you did with it? And say, Lord, you gave me this gift, or you gave me this talent, and this is what I did with it. You know, if I were to venture a guess... I imagine that there are some here, if not many here, that aren't so sure of what God has entrusted to them. Many are are, are not sure of the gifts God has given them, not because God's trying to hide it from them, but because they're never searched out opportunities. They've never engaged they never stepped out in faith to see where God had gifted them. To say, God, is this something you want me to do? Let me step out in faith and see. I, I recall a particular family back in, in Okinawa, a family that's very near and dear to my heart. I, I approached them. I remember I approached them one day, a husband and wife, and I said, Hey, you know, we're, we need some help in our children's ministry. And, and would you pray about getting involved and helping out? And, and I could see the fear just come over the wife's eyes. It was like, oh my goodness, he just asked us that question that she had been dreading. And it was like the worst thing I could have ever asked her to do. And, and she started to say, well, I don't think we're really called into children's ministry. And, I don't think, and then her husband just says, yeah, we'll do it. And she says, hey, he said, pray about it. You know, like... <laughs> And he says, no, we'll do it. It'll be okay. You know what ended up happening? That family plugged in and became one of the best Sunday school teaching teams we ever had. People would be lining up at the end of service just to see what they were able to do with those kids. She had 
crafts that were incredible. And they all pointed directly back to the message. And, and they actually brought their whole entire family in. They had a couple youth kids. And, and it was like a whole family effort. And it was amazing. They were incredible. But she was definitely afraid. And she even tells, I can't believe. I, I would have said no. I wouldn't have even, you know, she confided in me that she was going to go home and say, we're not doing that. But her husband opened his big mouth and said, yeah, we'll do it. You see, God had given that family the ability to teach God's truth in a manner that was understandable and enjoyable for children. Okay? But they could have squandered that gift if they would have never stepped out in faith to be used by God. It would have just been dormant, unused. God wants us to operate in our gifts and talents. And if you don't know what your gifts are, then ask God to show you. Pray and ask Him to reveal it to you. And if you don't feel as though you know for certain, you're, you're, I've been asking, I'm not getting any answers. Can I encourage you? Just step out in faith and give something a try. Perhaps you'll discover a hidden talent that you inadvertently buried that the Lord would have you to use for His kingdom. The master responded in exactly the same manner to the two servants. First, he commended them. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, the commendation was not based upon how much they brought in. Otherwise, the guy with the five talents, he would have received greater commendation. It would have been like, wow, you've got ten talents. You're so awesome. You've got four. And that's pretty good. But no, they were the same. Okay? It, it wasn't based upon the amount. It was based upon the proportion. Were they faithful with what was, with what was given to them? And that's where the commendation came in. Hey, remember we looked at a verse already. The commendation is based upon their faithfulness. Uh, we read earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, the requirement for good stewards is faithfulness. Were you faithful? Not did you, did you give me a hundredfold or two hundredfold, like, ah, oh, you didn't make enough for me. You know, you're not good enough. Were you faithful with what God gave you? That is what is required. And that is what God is looking for. They were each faithful with what God had given them. And for such they were commended, well done, good and faithful servant. I long to hear those words myself. To be before the Lord and to hear those words will be to me uh, something that I'm not sure how I'm going to respond. Okay. You know, I, my desire, you know, I, you know, some people talk about, oh, do you have a five-year plan as a church? And do you want to be this? Or do you want to be that? And, oh, you, we need a bigger building. And, oh, there's going to be a whole bunch of people coming. And, you know, I don't have that kind of plan. I'm sorry. Okay? My plan is to be faithful with every day. Each day that he gives me, just be faithful. Okay? You know, I don't know how I'll respond to those words when he says, as I pray he will, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know if I'll jump up and down with excitement or I might just fall down in tears uh, and, and be overwhelmed. But I hope that you long for, as I do, to hear those words. That when it's all said and done and you're before the Lord, that he looks at you and he says, well done. Well done, Neff, good and faithful servant. Well done, Jenny. You know, well done, Greg. I want to hear those words. Okay? I long to hear those words. After their commendation, they were then rewarded. They were, they were rewarded in, uh, in really two aspects to it, their reward. First, they were rewarded with uh, a promotion. To a ruler over many things. You know, these two started out as servants. And when it was all said and done, they were promoted to rulers. Okay? Second, they were invited to enter into the joy of their Lord. They worked and toiled for their Lord. And now they get to enter into His joy. This is a truth. God will commend and reward those that faithfully use 
that which has been entrusted to them. You know, this parable, it seems to indicate that our faithfulness on this side of eternity may play a part in our position in the kingdom to come. You know, I think a lot of people have the wrong idea of what heaven will be like. Okay? I, I think some think that heaven is a place where we'll all be sitting poolside, sipping on our iced tea, and the glories of the Lord will just be raining down on us, and it'll be so awesome. Okay? That's not what heaven's going to be like. Okay? It's not retirement. You realize that, right? Okay. In heaven, we will still, we are going to continue to serve the Lord in heaven. Okay? We're going to reign with Him during the millennium, and we're going to judge angels, the Scriptures talk about. And it will be a joyous thing to continue to serve the Lord in heaven. Verse 24 and 25. Let's look at this other servant. Then he says, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. The servant that was given one talent and went and buried it approaches the Lord with excuses. He accused his master of being hard. That word hard, it's not a flattering word. Okay? It's the same word used in the Old Testament scriptures to describe Nabal, uh, Ab- Abigail's husband. He was a, a stubborn fool okay? who... Basically, uh, well, you can read about it. It's in First uh, Samuel. Okay, uh, read about Nabal. He was a fool. Okay, and the, the same word that's described here—that's how he described his master. Okay, he also indicated that he knew his master reaped where he hadn't sown, indicating that he was basically a thief that stole uh, from others hard work. The other people reaped. Ever, ever, other people sowed and tilled the land, and then when the harvest came, he just came in and took it out from underneath them. And then the servant tries to say that it was because his master was so harsh and exacting that it scared him into not doing anything. And we see that this servant is trying to already pass the blame onto his Lord for his own actions or his own inactions. As if to say, if you weren't so mean of a person, I would have done something with your talent. But because you're so mean and so harsh and so hard, I was afraid of you and I didn't do anything with it. Basically, the servant is accusing his Lord as being harsh and hard, wicked and impossible to please. He then returns to his Lord the talent that was entrusted to him, declaring, Lord, there you have what is yours. The third servant, he, he never took this talent as his own entrusted portion. To him it was always his Lord's, and he never had any intention of doing anything with it. He seemed to have some sort of false hope in thinking that as long as he didn't lose any of the money, that he would be okay. okay. He knew that he probably wouldn't get any praise, but he thought, well, it'll be good enough I didn't lose any money. I can say, well, Lord, and I didn't gain anything, but I didn't lose anything either. Shouldn't that count for something? That, that seems to be the, the attitude here of the servant as he returns to him. He says, look, here you have what's yours. This as we'll see, was his greatest error, and it will cost him dearly. As we look at this, I wonder how many people that that call themselves Christians are banking on the same thing that this third servant did. They don't do anything with the gifts and the opportunities that the Lord provided for them their entire life. They just sat and waited around doing nothing. They didn't do any bad things, and they didn't lose any money, right? They played it safe and they're they're expecting that it will be good enough to get them into heaven. Some people think, well, as long as I get in, okay, that's all that really matters to me. So I'll just say I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not going to do anything for Him. I'm not going to invest in His kingdom. I'm not going to do, you know, works of service for Him, okay? I'm just going to believe in Him and that'll be good enough and I'll get in. Scriptures in James say that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. 
He then goes on to say, you believe... You believe that... Oh, it didn't print out. I don't have the last page. Oh, there it is right here. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Verse 19. You, you see the type of faith that says, I'll just believe and that's it. Okay? I'm not doing anything with my faith. I'm just going to say, that's, that's it. That's enough. That's good enough. I'll believe in Jesus. That'll get me my end card, my fire insurance card. Okay? But I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to act upon anything. That kind of faith is not a faith that's going to credit you anything. That sort of belief does you no good at all. You see, real genuine, genuine faith, it will produce works. Okay? Not that we're saved by those works. Okay? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it describes that. I'll, I'll paraphrase. Basically, it says we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast, but that we are God's workmanship and that He's actually created works for us to, to, to do. And, and so the idea is we're not saved by them, but there is an, the idea that we're going to do them. Real genuine faith, it's just a natural byproduct. If you really do have faith, you will produce works. Just like a, a real orange tree is going to produce oranges, and a real lemon tree is going to produce lemons. It's a natural thing. If it's a good tree, if it's a healthy tree, it's going to produce. And your faith, if it's a sincere faith, it's going to produce works. You're not going to be saved because of those works. But it will produce works. You know, the scriptures speak about a couple different types of sins. There's the sin of commission. Those are the sins that we do. Okay? But then there are sins of omission. Okay, these are sins too. Okay? They, but they're based upon what we don't do. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. If we know we should be doing something... If we know that we should be investing in God's kingdom and using our talents and using what God's given to us, using the resources, whatever those talents may be, and we say, no, I'm not going to do that, that's sin. This servant knew he should have been investing his Lord's money. He knew his Lord was expecting a return on his funds, but he did nothing. And the Lord has some sobering words for him. Verse 26 and 27, he says, But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. The Lord here, he churns the servant's excuses against himself. Okay? It's as if he goes with, which we recognize is an inaccurate assessment of the Lord. Okay? He, he goes with this inaccurate assessment of himself given to him by his servant, and he churns it upon him. And instead of being commended like the other servants, this man was condemned. Okay? If the master really was as hard of a man as the servant portrayed, then out of fear he should have been moved to action. Okay? If not motivated by love, he should at the very least been motivated by his so-called fear to do something with his Lord's money. Again, if he knew his master to be such a hard man that gathered from where he didn't scatter seed, the servant should have at least been moved to put his money in the bank so that he could at the very least have earned interest. Okay? A little bit of interest, maybe not as much as you know, trading and the stocks or investing or whatever it may be, okay? but a little bit is better than nothing. Okay? The Lord... And then he says, If he knew that his master reaped where he did not sow how much more would he expect to reap where he did sow? The Lord sowed into this man's life a full talent of money, a considerable portion. He sowed, and if he says, oh, I know you reap where you didn't sow, let me tell you, he's going to expect to reap where he did sow. And so he churns these man's accusations, he churns these man's excuses against him. And he rightly assessed that this servant was wicked and lazy. And that word wicked, it indicates that this servant was an, had an evil, uh, he was evil in a moral sense. The word lazy, it's just an accurate picture of his slothfulness. Thinking that doing nothing would be good enough. The master 
turned his own words against him to show that even the excuses he used should have stirred him to action. And I lost my last page. So here it is. Likewise, if we try to bring excuses when the Lord returns and calls for an accounting of what we did with what He entrusted to us, He will turn those very excuses against us. They won't work. No amount of excuses will be able to justify being a wicked and lazy servant. And I've heard a lot of excuses. They're not going to work. They're not going to stand. Excuses will not protect you from being held accountable by the Lord. Let's read these last verses, 28 through 30. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he who will have, he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That which was extended to the servant was taken from him and given to the servant that had ten. Because to everyone who has, more will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he does have will be taken from here. Here we see the basic principle of faithful stewardship. Those that are faithful will little with little, they will be given more. While those that are unfaithful with the Lord's resources that which they have will be taken from them. The master casts the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is without any doubt a picture and a description of hell. This wicked and lazy servant is held accountable for his slothfulness and punished for his inaction. And some do not like the interpretation that this is a picture or representation of hell because they feel that it comes too close to teaching that works will determine if we go to heaven or hell. And that's not what's being taught here. Okay? And it's definitely not what I'm trying to teach here. Okay? This man's punishment came not just because he didn't do enough works. Look at this man's response to his master. This man said he knew his master to be one way when in all reality he was completely different. He said his master was hard and implied him to be a harsh and a cruel man. Yet we know that the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. He said his master reaped where he did not sow, when in reality the Lord often sows abundantly where he doesn't even reap. This servant didn't know his master. He thought he knew him, but he didn't. He did not know his master. Also, he took that which was offered to him by the Lord and returned it to him, not wanting anything to do with it. And if these opportunities and gifts are indeed connected to the Holy Spirit, it's as if the servant says, you gave your spirit to me, but I didn't want anything to do with him. I just buried him. And here you go. You can have him right back. I'll do fine just on my own. The servant shows his stubbornness of wanting to stand on his own without anything from the Lord. And so he is judged. Without the grace and gift of God, and he is cast into outer darkness. You see, this man wasn't punished because he didn't bring God a prophet. This man was punished and went to where he wanted to be where he chose to be. The servant was sent to hell because he didn't know his master and he didn't want anything to do with him. And the same is for us. Those that don't know the Lord and those that say, I don't want anything to do with the Lord, really. I don't want to serve him. I don't want to honor him. I just, you know, you can keep him for yourself. They are choosing to go to hell. Faithfulness and stewardship is the, is the crux of this parable. Okay? But it's a sobering reminder. And it should cause us to make sure. We want to ask ourselves, what has God entrusted to us? If God has entrusted something to us, and He wants me, and He's going to hold me accountable to that, well, you know what? I want to know what that is. I want to encourage you guys to take time to think about what that is. What has God entrusted to you? When that day comes and you're before Him, will you be able to say, God, you gave me this. And this is what I did with it. And then He'll say, Ah, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with little things. 
I'll make you ruler of many. Come and enter into the joy of your Lord. Or will we be like the other servant? We're going to come and bring excuses. Well, God, you... You know, I really, you only gave me kind of one talent, and I didn't really like it, and I didn't want to use it, and so I'm just going to give it back to you. Well, you'll stand on your own, and it won't be a good thing. I want to encourage you, invest the gifts that God has given to you, that He's entrusted to you. Don't bury your talents. Use them for the Lord. In this church, we can use some extra help. But you know what? God's working in lots of different places. He's working in your workplace, in your community, uh, uh, all throughout. Hey, look for those opportunities and seize them. Amen? Amen. All right. It's getting late here. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning, the opportunity to go, get into your word. And Lord, as we looked at last week, and we, the, the emphasis was on being ready Today we, we looked at what it looks like to be ready, that we're going to be servants, that we're going to be good, uh, faithful stewards of what you've entrusted to us. And Lord, we're going we're gonna to labor in those gifts and opportunities you've given to us, not because we're saved by them, but because it's just a natural byproduct of our relationship with you. Lord, I pray that we would all be found faithful. I pray that every single person in here, that on the day that you call us home and you call us for an accounting, that you will say to us, that each of us will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, until that day comes, lead us, guide us, continue to give us opportunities to invest in your kingdom. May you be honored in our lives and glorified. We ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.